Let's read from the scriptures together from Galatians chapter four, verses eight through 11 this morning. Let's read from the board together. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, like your servant Samuel, So many years ago, prayed, speak for your servant is listening. I pray you would open our hearts and minds and ears to your word this morning. I pray that they would have an impact upon um, our lives. Lord, I pray that we have not come to hear wisdom from man or come to express anger over whatever it is we're supposed to be mad at on social media or the news cycle this week, but instead we've come to hear from you. May you set the agenda for our time this morning through your word. May we have absolute confidence that this is your holy and inspired word that is able to lift us up, to build us up, to bear us up, and to make us more like Christ if we will but listen and apply it in our lives. Father, we ask you to take these truths and plant them deep within us. Speak, O Lord, for your servants are listening. Ask that you move me aside and that you will speak in the hearts, Lord. Whatever whatever insufficiencies and weaknesses I have, may you work through them so that your spirit will take your word and will make your children more like your son to forever be to your glory. It is in your name we pray, amen. I think I told you the story before about uh, the high school senior that came to see me one time when I was a youth pastor. He uh, just had a real bad case of senioritis. He just wanted to be done, you know? He was just tired of it. And and, um, and for the first time in his life, he heard of a, he told me, I, I heard that there was some test you can take where you can skip high school and just have your diploma. And uh, I hear it's called a GED. And I was like, well, yeah, that test is there. I said, but man, you've only got like five months left. What's, what's going on? Tell me what's happening in your heart. Help me explain why you're considering this. And he said, Randy, I'm just so tired. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to get on with my life. I'm ready to do what I wanna do. I'm ready and I'm, I'm ready to, everybody's just telling me what to do. If it's not teachers, it's, it's pastors. If it's not pastors and teachers, it's my parents. I'm, I'm just tired of being a kid. I'm ready to be an adult. I wanna be my own person and I wanna do whatever I wanna do. And I said, well, well, what will you do if you do this? He said, I don't know. I was thinking about joining the army. I said, I said, man, you have no idea what everybody telling you what to do is all about. And so he wanted to trade one master for another. And uh, I simply told him, dude, man up, you got five months deal. And, uh, and he did. And, and of course he's a pastor today in, in Oklahoma, but 
Anyway, uh, he wanted to trade one master for another, and that's exactly what the Galatians, once again, are being tempted to do. And Paul, just to remind you where we've been, he said that you, um, you have got to stay true to the gospel. You've got to persevere in the gospel. And, and there's basically three overall arguments in the book of Galatians, and we've been over this. So just really quick, he gave his testimony in, in chapters one through two, uh, chapter two, really verse 15 through the end of chapter four is kind of his doctrinal argument. And then finally, chapters five and six will be the practical argument. So, so we've summed it up this way, that only the gospel, the first part of Galatians is that only the gospel can change a life. What we've been talking about is only the gospel can pronounce us righteous. And as we're going to see in chapters five and six, only the gospel can produce righteousness practically in our lives. And so Paul is really coming to the end of his biblical argument, and, and we're coming really to the end of chapter four. There's a couple of different things he's going to say, but really today's text is the conclusion. All matters have been heard. He has, he has talked about Abraham. He has talked about justification. He has talked about adoption. He has given examples, biblical example. He has given an example from everyday life, which would have been the everyday life of his original readers, not necessarily us today. And then he finally comes to this final word where he addresses them in particular. And he says, knowing all of this, why, why, how could you ever go back to the slavery that you were in? A lot of the points that he's going to make today are points that we have made before. And so some of it may sound a little repetitious, but that's okay because anytime the Bible repeats something over and over and over again, it's probably something that we need to make sure that we have absolutely down. So therefore it's good to repeat it again and again as the word of God does. And he says here in verse nine, and this is really the main point. He says here in verse nine, but now that you've come to know God or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you once were? Now, if you recall that, that phrase, elementary principles of the world, we saw that before, didn't we? We, see it, we saw that a couple of weeks ago. And we saw that the way P Paul uses that phrase is it refers to whatever we were before we came to Christ. If you were a Jew that was, uh, uh, that was zealous for the law, for your own righteousness in the law, that was your elementary principles. If you were a, a pagan, then that was your elementary principles. We can say today that if you were raised in church and with good morals and good American uh, values, but you don't know Christ, those are your elementary principles. If you were an absolute heathen, those are your elementary principles, whether it be civic religion, Judaism, paganism, whatever it is, whatever you were before coming to Christ is what Paul is talking about in that phrase. And Paul is saying that now that you know Christ, now that you know God, why would you want to go back to that? Why would you want to go back to what you were before Christ? Isn't that tempting sometimes? I mean, if we're just really honest, isn't it, wouldn't it be so much easy, easier sometimes if we just didn't have to get up on Sunday morning and come to church? Yeah, I mean, you, you, you just work so hard during the week and wouldn't it be so easy, man, if I wasn't a Christian, I wouldn't even have to worry about this. Wouldn't that be, just be so easy sometimes? Let's be, let's be real. Hey, listen, I'm a pastor. Sometimes I feel like that. Okay, I mean, that's, it's, you do, you feel like that. Sometimes life would be so much easier 
if you could just do something else. And yet, Paul's saying, why would you wanna do that now that you know God? Now that you know, or rather are known by God, why would you trade up? In fact, uh, Jesus talking about the Pharisees and the Jews, he says here um, in, uh, in Matthew chapter 23, he says, he, he says, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. And that's exactly the kind of people that were coming into Galatia. And Paul is saying, now that you have left your formal life, now you're just trying to trade one master for another. You're being tempted to go into one form of slavery, go from one form of slavery to another. And so he's appealing to them personally and saying, don't do it. Don't go back. We're gonna see that they're in the same way as he is fighting for our souls this morning. He's fighting for our souls, saying, Listen, we must avoid the temptation to revert back into self-righteousness. We must resist reverting back to self-righteousness. Whatever form it may take, whether it is Eve who adds to the command, do not eat, eat, to eat of this tree, and she says, do not eat of it and don't touch it, whether we're, whether we're adding fences on the law or whether we're saying my righteousness comes just from my heathenism or whatever it is, my civic religion or whatever it is, don't revert back to that. Persevere in the gospel, resist reverting back. And how do we do that? How do we resist that? Well, there's, there's three, um, three aspects that Paul gives us in this text. And just very quickly, number one, we need to remember our slavery. We need to remember our slavery. Go back in verse eight and look what he says. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature were not God's. Paul begins by reminding them where they came from. Remember where you came from. Remember from whence you have fallen. Remember what you were converted from. He says, first of all, remember that during that time, no matter how much you may look back on it longingly now, remember that at that time you did not know God. Before we were Christians, we did not know God. That is the defining characteristic of every single lost person on earth is that they do not know God. John chapter, uh, John chapter 14 quotes Christ when he told his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And in verse seven, he says, if you had known me, you would have known the Father. You cannot know God unless you know Jesus Christ, even though there are a lot of people today in our culture who claim to know God. Oh, they claim to be on first name basis with God. They claim to have regular conversations with God every single day. Lots of cultic and pagan ideas are, are being repackaged into this renewed interest of vague spirituality in our culture. And yet the only way to know God truly is to know him through Jesus Christ, our Lord, is to know him through the gospel. We did not know God we did not know God, and that was the defining characteristic of who we were. 
And even today, beloved, one of the things you need to understand, you say, well, how does this help me now? Because I am a Christian, I am being tempted, and and I do wanna go back. I do wanna go back to old habits. I wanna go back to self-righteousness. I wanna go back to these things. And why why am I supposed to remember this? Because always keep in mind something, is that just because someone doesn't worship God doesn't mean they don't worship. And when you turn away from God, beloved, you don't stop worshiping. You are a worshiper. It is in our DNA. The question is not whether or not we worship. The question is who we worship or what we worship. And that's what Paul says. He says that when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God. We, we did not know God. Therefore, we were idolaters. We were idolaters. We were enslaved to idolatry. Everyone worships. There are no exceptions to that. Worship is built into our DNA. And if you don't worship God, you are worshiping something. It may be status. It may be relationship. It may be the church even. It may be, uh, it may be work. It may be money. It may be whatever it is, you are worshiping something. Matthew Henry, the great Bible commentator, He said that those who do not know God can do nothing but be inclined to false idols. That's what we do. In fact, the greatest statement of what it means to be converted is 1 Thessalonians chapter one, verse 10. He says that, and and to wait for his son, excuse me, verse nine, I put the wrong verse in there. He says, how you turned from serving idols to serve the true and living God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Verse nine says how you, uh, the picture of conversion is that we have turned from serving idols to serve the living and true God. You know what's interesting about this? Look back very carefully, whoops. Look back very carefully at what Paul says. He says, you were enslaved that to those that by nature are not gods. Let me ask you a question. Would Paul have ever said that to a former Jew? No, he wouldn't have. In fact, if you look at how Paul refers to Jews who don't know Christ, uh, really you look at Romans chapter 10, verses one through four. They, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Paul was was serving the true God through the law before he was saved. It just was not according to knowledge and it was not according to true righteousness that only comes from Christ. But Paul is not talking to the Judaizers here. He's talking to the Galatians. And he says that you were enslaved to those things that were not God's. And yet he does say in verse nine that why would you go back to the weak and elementary principles of the world, which we've already seen does include the law and righteousness through the law. You say, Randy, why why is that so important? Listen, don't miss the power of this argument because here it is, beloved, In other words, if you forsake the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you forsake faith alone by grace alone in Christ alone and all of those things, if you forsake the gospel for a law-based righteousness, then you might as well go back to your paganism because it's the same thing. It would do you just as good 
same self-righteousness, and it will keep you as far away from God as your paganism and your false gods did. In fact, it might even put you in a worse place. So why go back to the law? You're robbing Peter to pay Paul. You're trading one slavery for another. You're jumping out of the frying pan and into the fire. It's like uh, whenever you were young and, and you had a balance on your credit card you were trying to pay down and, and you get that offer for that new credit card, 0% interest for balance transfers. And you're thinking, oh, goody, 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 goody. And so, you, and so you put all of your credit balance on that new 0%, but you failed to read the fine print. And all of a sudden, after the introductory time, their interest rate is like 45%. I mean, it's just huge. You jumped out of the fire, you jumped out of the frying pan and into the fire. You, you robbed Peter to pay Paul. Wouldn't it be so much better if someone would just pay off your debt? Wouldn't that be just so much better if they would just pay your debt down to zero? I mean, who wouldn't want that? So beloved, why would we forsake the righteousness we have in Christ for law righteousness when Jesus has paid all of our debt on the cross? Why would we go back? Why would we go back? Wouldn't you rather have Christ? Don't revert to self-righteousness through the law, but instead, number two, rest in our salvation. Rest in our salvation. Look at verse nine. He says, but now that you know God or whether have, or rather have come to know God. Now let's stop right there because here we have one of the most concise and most beautiful summaries of what it means to be saved, to know God and to be known by him. What's it mean? Well, first of all, that we rest in our relationship. We rest in our relationship now that we have come to know God. And, and I want you to see something here that in, in our translations, the word know here is the same in, in, in verse nine. You know, it's knowing and same in verse eight, knowing and knowing. But in the original, this is actually a different word. And this is referring to a covenant knowledge. It speaks of a relationship. It speaks of something that is close and intimate. Uh, those who did not know the gospel, those who before Christ did not even understand who God is, the kind of God he is, the kind of one that he is. But now we have come to know him in covenant. We have come to know him in relationship. We have come to know him personally. We have entered into a relationship with him and it is the greatest privilege that could ever be afforded to a person is to know God. Jeremiah chapter nine, verse 23 and 24. Hopefully I got this one right. Yes, I did. It says, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me that I am Yahweh, who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. Don't boast in your riches. Don't boast in your might. Don't boast in your wisdom. Boast in that you know God because that is the greatest privilege. That is the greatest thing, the greatest gift that could ever be afforded to humanity is to know God. J.I. Packer went to be with the Lord a couple weeks ago. Uh, wonderful, wonderful man. And I affirm and 
and recommend all of his writings to you, none greater than his great book, Knowing God. And in that book, he says this, he says, what makes life worthwhile is having a big enough objective, something that catches our imagination, lays hold of our allegiance. And this the Christian has in a way that no other person has. For what higher, more exalted, and more compelling goal can there be than to know God? What greater privilege it must be to know the president of the United States by name. How much greater it is that we know God and we know him by name. But Paul quickly corrects himself. He says, now that you have come to know God, but rather he knows us. We are known by him. You see, we rest in our relationship and the only reason we're able to is because of his grace. We rest in his grace. Rather to be known by him, we did not come to know God through our exertions. We did not come to know him through anything we did in and of ourselves. It's not produced in ourselves. We know God because we are known by him. We did not love God. He loved us and gave his son to die on the cross. Eternal, our eternal destiny comes down to this. Matthew chapter seven, verse 23 says that, Lord, did we not do this in your name and that in your name and this in your name and that in your name? And in that day, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Eternal destiny comes down to whether or not we are known by God, whether or not we are known by Christ. And it is the greatest source of joy and comfort. We are known by God. The one who has named all the stars and all the planets of all the galaxies. The one who knows by number every grain of sand knows me. He has a perfect knowledge of me. My days are numbered in his love. He knows exactly why and where I am. You know why you don't have to be afraid of COVID-19? Because your days are in the hands of your God. That's why. I'm not saying be stupid. I'm not saying be reckless. I mean, you know, have good stewardship of the body God gave you. But don't be afraid. Your days are numbered. Your days are known. Your God knows you. Think about it. When I am tempted to rely on the law, what, what, make, what is it that gives me that temptation? Because I've messed up again, right? I've done it again. I've yelled at my kids again. I've gotten angry again. I've looked online again. I've taken that drink again. I've taken that, that, that puff, that snort again. I have done this or that again. I've got to do better. I've got to set up these rules in my life. Otherwise, God will not love me. Is it not to cover our weaknesses? Is it not to cover our, our sin and our shame? Is it not like putting Band-Aids over measles? Is that not why we're tempted to go to the law? Is it, not, is it not because we are trying to mask our sin in front of God? 
Is it not that we're still fashioning clothes out of fig leaves? Oh, Christian, don't you think that God knew about that when he saved you? Don't you think that God was aware of your failings when he saved you? Don't you know that God was aware of your weaknesses when he died on the cross for your sins? Don't you think that God knew had a perfect knowledge of our weaknesses and sins when he chose to set his love on you? Aren't, don't you know, don't you think that God knows you and he knew that too? Don't you know that God demonstrates his own love for you in this, that while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. Do you not know that God was aware of your weaknesses and your propensities and temptations to sin and yet he chose to set his love on you anyway? Don't go back to the law. Rest in his grace. Rest in his salvation. Don't you know that God loves you and that there is no performance, no action, nothing you can do that would make him love you any more than what he does right now. That's why I love that hymn. Before the throne of God above, my name is graven on his hands, my name is written on his heart, and I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. Whatever accusation Satan brings about you before God, is written in blood on the cross of Calvary and is covered by the righteousness of Christ. You don't have to revert back to the law. You don't have to go back to masking. So let me ask you this. Why would I choose to tell God that his incredible love for me is not enough? Why would I suggest that his love that he set on me, this incredible love that in spite of my weaknesses, in spite of my sin, when I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Why would I look at God with such contempt and say that it's not enough, I've got to do more? Why would I do that? Oh, sinner, why? Stop this unkindness. Stop treating your God as if his divine love is insufficient. For you. To do so is to place your soul in danger. It's to place his love on the back burner. To treat it as if it is no significant thing in your life. I've got to do more. Stop that insanity. Stop that. Instead, rest in his salvation. Otherwise, you will place your soul in danger. And that's the third thing we see that if we're going to re resist reverting back to self-righteousness, we've got to recognize the danger of it. We've got to recognize the danger. Look at verses 10 and 11. Just very quickly, he says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. What's the danger of this? How, how does this come about? Well, I want you to recognize the subtle threat here. He, he says in verse 10, he says, uh, this, this source of, Basis of concern that Paul has is, you know, what does this look like? What does this practically, if I'm going back to self-righteousness, what, what does it look like? And he, and he says in verse 10, just gives an example of this calendar. You observe days and months and seasons and years. 
I want you to recognize the subtleness of this danger, the subtle threat that he, that he shows here. Because listen, beloved, the truth is, is that no Christian sets out to become a legalist. I, I, honestly, I honestly believe that. No Christian who is saved would, would set out to say, I'm going to earn my further righteousness with God. If you're saying that when you're saved, then beloved, you may not be saved. It happens gradually. It happens over time. It happens usually not always, but self-righteousness grows in a gradual progression that, that we don't always see in our own hearts. And so what does it look like? Well, Paul gives us an example here, the observance of months and days and seasons and years. And, and there's confusion as to what this is referring to. Is it, is it referring to uh, the fertility gods that the pagans uh, gave and, and, and celebrated? It may be a reference to the sun and moon cycles and, and all of those kinds of things. But, but now uh, most people say that, no, Paul is actually talking about the Jewish feast. He's actually talking about Sabbath observance and he's actually talking about Passover and he's talking about the Feast of Tents and, and he's talking about, uh, by, by this time, he's talking about Hanukkah, the Feast of Lights and, and all of these other things. And he's saying, you are observing all of these things and, and this is what Paul is saying and, and, and it, would have been, it would have been shocking to the Judaizers who were reading this along with the Galatians. This would have been absolutely shocking he said that when you were a pagan, you, you did all of these festivals and you did all of these rites in order to be right with that God. And now you're going to the law, you're going to all these Jewish feasts and you're trying to do the same thing. All you're doing is you're taking your old ways and you're baptizing them with new names. That's all you're doing. Paul, what he said here must have been shocked. He, he's, they're, doing, they're going back to the same ideas. We've got to keep these feasts and these observances in order to keep God satisfied with me. It's the same thing you did when you're pagans. Instead, you're just putting God's name in it instead. You're putting John 3.16 on a bottle of whiskey. That's all you're doing. Doesn't make a Christian whiskey. And trying to earn your righteousness by following Christian observances doesn't make you a Christian either. It's just the old ways. In other words, they're reducing their faith to nothing more than ritual, to nothing more than ceremony. They're reducing their faith to nothing more than custom and tradition. And that's the danger. It's just like paganism, it's just with a new spin. It's baptizing it in new language doing the same thing. And that's why we need to recognize the serious concern here that Paul has. He says in verse 11, I am afraid. You know, of all the things that we read about Paul in the New Testament, we read about Paul, the fearless one. We read about Paul who faced all these persecutions. We hear about Paul who was shipwrecked. We hear about Paul and, and he was so fearless. No, Paul was not fearless. You know what kept him up at night? This right here. You know what keeps me as your pastor up at night? This right here. For fear that our faith is nothing more than ritual. Ceremony. Tradition. We know about God instead of knowing God. 
If we reduce our faith to nothing more than custom and tradition, we might as well have stayed a pagan. Might as well. And we can do the same thing. We can do this. We can do this often. I hate, I hate, I hate that sign downtown by the courthouse that says, go to church this Sunday, it can help. Beloved, if you don't know Jesus Christ, going to church is doing nothing for you. You know what will bring us eternal salvation? And, and I get what they're trying to say, and I get it. You know, yes, I, I mean, I want to center here in church. Don't get me wrong. But my point is this, going to church isn't going to save anybody. Knowing Christ and Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, that's what saves That's why as a church, we've got to be absolutely adamant about that. This building does not save anybody. Our faith is reduced to nothing more than tradition and custom, nothing more than going to church, following the order. And then, you know, we've checked off our list and so we can come back next week. Baptizing our upbringing into Christian lingo, but having no real living faith. Paul says, I'm afraid for you. I am afraid that if you turn back to this, it means that the gospel did not really take hold of your heart. There was never any real heart change. He says, I'm afraid that I've labored over you in vain. And if we reduce our faith to nothing more than just observance and tradition and custom. And I'm not saying that, you know, those things are wonderful. When, when in their proper place. I love the quote. Tradition is the, is the living faith of dead saints. Traditionalism is the dead faith of living saints. We've got to know the difference. We've got to know the difference. So I want to ask you this morning, has there been a genuine heart change in your life? Has there been a genuine Change that has come about as a result of knowing Christ and him as Lord and Savior? Or have we substituted ceremony, ritual, rote memory, tradition? Have we substituted those things for knowing God? Do we know all about God but don't really know him? Are we coming to church to check off a box are we singing songs out of rote memory that we don't even remember what we sang? Or are we lifting up our hearts in true expressions to worship to God because he saved our soul? Which one is it? Because it's so easy to fall back into the first one. I've done it. You've done it. So let's look at our hearts this morning and ask ourselves, have we really experienced heart change? Do we truly know God? And this morning, I'm gonna ask you, I don't care how long you've been a member of the church. I don't care how often you're here every Sunday. I don't care how much you give. Have you had a genuine encounter with Jesus Christ? Have you had a genuine heart change in your life? Can you see the way that God is working in you? Or is church just another box that you check off week after week? Which one is it? May we all examine our hearts this morning.
May we all ask ourselves the hard questions so that we can know that we know, examine ourselves so that we are sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that we know Jesus Christ. And if you don't, I'd love to talk to you. Art would love to talk to you. Roy, Ken, any of our, any of our deacons, we'd love to talk to you this morning. Father, we pray that you will take these words and you will implant them on our hearts. They're not easy to hear. And yet, Father, you have inspired them and I pray that I have explained them in a way that is faithful, that is concise and passionate. I pray that they are doing their work in the lives of your people. Lord, I pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ is becoming absolutely clear and that anyone here this morning who is relying on any kind of self-righteousness will give that up, whatever form it's taking, and will instead move into the rest that comes. As Jesus so invited, come all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. May that invitation go out this morning. Let's go ahead and stand and sing this final song this morning.